Hello and welcome to Modern Homemakers. I'm Leah Parker and looking at the calendar today, it is already nearly October, (laughs) which means it's time, mamas and others, (laughs) to start planning for Christmas. We want to remind you of all the Christmas products that we have available on our website. Um, There are the Christmas candles. The Home for Christmas videos and syllabus and red plates and a book by Max Lucado called Children of the King. And so if you want to get any of those items, we do run, we're running a lower inventory on some of those items and the candles are in and they are ready to go. So make sure and check those things out. But today, Donna will be talking to us about the seven attributes of daily living. And I'm excited to hear it. Oh, it happened one morning. You know how this is. And I've been planning the lessons for all of us. And about 10 days ago, I was led to the book of Revelation. Now, I have read the entire Bible several times. I want to be sure that everyone recognizes that I know where the book of Revelation is. I know who wrote it. I know where he wrote it. But I don't believe in my history except for reference to certain verses that I've ever said, I'm going to spend the next lesson on these seven churches that John wrote letters to and how it correlates with staying. So here I was just reading away in my Bible, chapter 1, chapter 2, chapter 3, just to the beginning of chapter 4. And as I stopped reading, I wrote the word, this is a confirmation. And I thought, what is it about Revelation that could be a confirmation? And in this topic, staying in a leaving culture, being there, being available to people, recognizing the importance of staying, here comes John. Remember where John is. He's in prison, right, on the Isle of Patmos. I've never been to the Isle of Patmos, but I understand that it is kind of a volcanic island, very dreary. And um, it's it's a scary book. People say, well, I don't read Revelation because it makes me afraid. And I think it is a scary book. It is a belief that if you read this book, the most feared book, it has malicious monsters, bizarre creatures. It has the lion, the ox, and a human face, an eagle with six wings. They're all covered with eyes. There are bottomless pits and glassy seas and rivers of blood. I mean, that's a lot of, looks like some of the video games the teenage population are playing these days. It also has glorious voices and choirs and white-robed angels. The inhabitants of the earth are being faced with difficulty. So I like to say that I'm a person as listening and obedient a person to God's word as I can possibly be. But this book that John wrote is a book not in a neat order. It isn't like you go there and find chapter one following up with chapter two. The only thing I can say about the neat order of the book of Revelation is that God is on the throne. God is on the throne and in the center of the chaos. It took me me a couple of reads before I decided that I was going to 
bring this lesson to come to that, but it, it is the fact that his opening vision in the book, remember that's what these are, vision from God through John to us, in chapters one verses, down the middle of chapter three, the glorified God judges not the Roman emperor or his minions, but the seven churches of Asia themselves. Their special report cards begin by pointing out their assets, their faithfulness, their patience, their endurance, their love, their activities, as well as their deficits. And I, you know, I don't know about you, Leah, but I, I often get in that mode. And I think someone actually gave me instructions of that when I was a younger person. The way to get someone's ear about something negative was to start with a very positive affirmation mm -hmm. or a list of wonderful things about who you are. I, you know, at my age, I'm not sure I still canter with that good idea because there, there feels in some way like, okay, what's coming next? Mm. Did you get that because I'm going to get this? I think in some relationships, especially those that are very close, we don't need to start with that. But in this place, the seven churches receive an individual accounting and they take these individual inventories and lay a formation, uh, a kind of a firm foundation of what we need to understand about these churches and how it relates to us. As I said, it's not in a neat order. It's not easy to understand. There are a lot of pieces, like I, I was thinking how many times I've come to the scripture and I have to stop and say, that's an idea or concept that isn't a part of my everyday thinking, isn't a part of my everyday life. In Psalms, we read, and I've read the Psalms many times, but in Psalm 90, I believe it is, he says that a thousand years may be like one day in the sight of God. And I think for Donna Otto, that phrase has always given I think I want to say, given me understanding of God's desire to speak to me in any way he wants to speak to me, even in ways that I find daunting, disbelieving, fiery, fearful, um, they kind of blow at my theories of Christ. But that, when I come back to that, I don't know how long a day was when God created the earth. I don't know if it was 24 hours or a thousand days or a thousand years, but I know the psalmist says that a thousand years in your sight, in God's sight, is like yesterday. Now, again, is a thousand years 365 days? Is it just a very long time? But to God, it looks like it's a very short time. So that this this few pieces of information that I discovered and thought about how they fit into my deep desire to stay. I don't know when that came to me as an idea to teach, to encourage, but I know that my, my childhood and my early life were filled with people who left. Filled with people who left. They didn't they didn't just say, I'll be back in a week. They left. They just left. And I had a great deal of internal indigestion over that. And then I 
was heightening my awareness of who God was and his promise in the New Testament, the New Testament when he says, I will never, and that never is to the fifth power, I will never, 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 never leave you or forsake you. So I, I, I began to hold that dearly. I began to say, no matter what it felt like, and if it felt like God was leaving me high and dry or alone, it, he had never left me. It was my perception, and I had to figure out what he was saying to me and what I was to do with that. But I remember studying in the New Testament and finding this question that the disciples in the last days of the life of Christ they were asking about, and so when will you be back? Like they, He had convinced them that he was going away, and that was pretty hard to do, uh, period, because what do you mean you're going away? You're the Messiah. You, we've been waiting for you to come. And, of course, what did they know? They they had the old covenant. Remember, that's all they had. The, the new covenant is being written in the years that Jesus is with them. But they still want to know, when well, when will you be back? When will you return? And how many of you who are in this listening audience belong to a church who said on December 23rd or October 1st, Jesus is returning? Or you've heard someone standing on the corner in a big city somewhere saying, your last days are ahead of you. We don't know. But it, it, was, it was profoundly important to me to recognize that the disciples who had had Jesus for three plus years, and now he was going away, one of the first things they wanted to know is when were you coming back? It's like a little child. Mama and Daddy are going away for the weekend. When will you be back? When are you coming back? I need you. I count on you. So as I looked at these first seven churches and this very short couple of chapters, um, I came to this place that this is truly a pastoral letter. It, it's to encourage the suffering and hearten the weary. It's also a letter about judgment. Uh, we don't like that word judgment, do we? We don't like to be offended. And when we get offended, what we really want to do is pass judgment. I want this done. Bing. You said what to me? I'm going to fix that, and I'm going to pass judgment on what you said, not how you said it or what you meant, and I'm passing judgment. The psalmist says to us, Oh, how long, Lord, Lord, how long will I be able to be in a place that I can be offended and take the suffering and go on. In the New Revised Standard Bible, in the opening pages of the Revelation, of the, Revelation, uh, of the book of Revelation, he says, honestly reviewing our present spiritual state, repenting for the breakdowns and resolving to rectify them are the first steps. Unless we clear away the debris created by our neglect, our self-deception, all subsequent steps are likely to lead us down false trails. And when I think of the judgment that we receive in this book and what God's telling us is going to happen, it's the kind of hard to bite. And that's probably why we don't stick our nose into revelation, revelation very often. But I'm gonna give you seven words. I have no notes. I have no notes except my Bible in front of me and the things that I've underscored, but I'm going to give you the seven words which represent the seven churches, all right? The first word 
to the church at Ephesus is love. The second church at Smyrna is suffer. The third church at Pergamum is speak truth. At Thyatira is joy, true joy or holiness. I think these words interface with each other in this chapter. At Sardis, the word is authentic. At Philadelphia, it is keep listening, like there's a mission. I'm giving you a mission. Keep listening. Keep listening. I, I, maybe that's been my the best of these seven words or concepts. And the last at Laodicea is worship. Is worship. So this is a vision that John is given to the seven churches that are in Asia. He says, grace to you and peace from him who is with you and who is to come. And then Jesus speaks and says, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the Lord God who is and was and who is to come, the Almighty. And John says, I, John, your brother, who share with you in Jesus the persecution and the kingdom and the patient endurance was on the island of Patmos because the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. I was in the spirit and I heard in a loud voice like a trumpet. Did you ever have anyone talk to you with such a loud voice that it sounds like a trumpet? I think people say that about me, that I am to write a book and when you see and send it, to the seven churches, the seven churches I just gave to you. They could be like the Southern Baptist Church on the corner, or Calvary, or the Good Book Bible Church, or the Shepherd Church in the desert. They could be anything. The names were just the names of the, uh, the cities that they were, they were in, the cities they were in. And then he says, and then I turned to see whose voice it was that spoke and to me, and on turning it, I saw seven golden lampstands. And in the right hand, he held seven stars. So the number seven keeps reappearing, and the angels of the seven churches and the seven lampstands are the seven churches. So all that... It feels like gibberish. It all keeps coming down to seven, because there were seven churches. And that's who Jesus was addressing, God was addressing this to. So each one of them are in a place. And then in what amounts to about seven or eight verses only, comes this one word, the, the summation of what the message to the church at Ephesus was. And they start with, and to the angel of the church in Ephesus, and to the angel of the church in Smyrna, and to the angel of the church in Thyatira. They all start the same way, to the angel of the church. And he says, I know your works, Ephesus. I know your works, your toil, and your patient endurance. We recently talked about endurance. I know that you cannot tolerate evildoers, you have tested those who claim to be apostles, but are not, and found them to be false. I also know that you are enduring. He calls them, in seven verses, he calls them enduring three times. And this is what they are enduring. But I have this against you, that you have abandoned the love you had at first. So what he's saying to them 
is I know you. I know what you have done. But now I am giving you this judgment, and the judgment is you've abandoned the love. That's all, I, that's all he says. Is love important to you? Do you love fiercely? Do you keep in your love? Do you stay in your love when you're wounded, when you're offended, when your husband, your children, your neighbors, your pastor, anyone in the world offends you? I've told this story on air a couple of times, but my dear Colombian friend, Don Coleman, who lost his umbrella. In the rainy place of Colombia, he lost his enormous umbrella that three people could get under, and someone stole it from him. He was very upset, and he went through several days being very upset. He needed his umbrella. He used it for ministry. He was so offended, and he said, it was in that moment that God said to me, Don Coleman, I want you to develop the spirit of unoffendability. <laughs> Every time I hear that phrase, I think the spirit of unoffendability. That's what happened in Ephesus. They were offended, and they abandoned their love. The church at Smyrna, the word is suffer. And he says, do not fear what you are about to suffer. Oh, my. How do you feel about that, audience? Do you fear what you're about to suffer? If you were in front of me, I would say, would you raise your hand? Would you raise your hand if you have endured suffering? And we would all raise our hands. Last week, I've not ever said this on the air, but I am going to, because I'm going to ask you to pray for my dear son-in-law, Jason. Last week, do not fear for what you're about to suffer fell very hard on the ears of our family when my son-in-law, who has been through one bout of cancer, was diagnosed with more cancer. He is about to suffer. And what John is being told that we are not to fear what we are about to suffer. Why? Because the Spirit is with us. Whoever conquers will not be harmed by the second death. We will all suffer. So don't make suffering the thing that draws you away from your love. If you have an ear to hear, listen to what the Spirit is saying to you. And that is, He is with you. He will never leave you or forsake you. Do not be afraid of the suffering. And then to the church at Pergamum. He wants them to speak the truth. To speak the truth. Yet you are holding fast to my name, and you did not deny your faith in me, even in the days of Antipas, my witness, and faithful one who was killed among you. But I have a few things against you. You have come, some of you, to hold to the teachings of Balaam, who taught about the stumbling block before the people of Israel, so they would eat, they would eat food sacrificed to idols." And he goes on and he says, Repent then, if not, I will come to you soon and make war against them with the sword of my mouth. A white stone is written, a new name, and no one knows the one except the one who is to receive it. Speak the truth no matter what it causes you. 
Have you ever been in a situation? Have you ever been asked to testify, to stand in a courtroom? Has your church called you and said, what do you know the truth of the situation to be? Have your children looked at you and said, mama, that's not true. He's not telling the truth about their brother. Have you looked at your husband or your wife and thought, that's not true? What is the truth? Sometimes we feel like we have to hide the truth. I'm certainly glad the doctors who attend to my son-in-law, Jason, did not hide the truth. He is not fearful of his suffering. Maybe it's because he suffered so much already, but he knows it's about to come, and those of us who love him and care for him are concerned about his suffering. And speaking the truth, which was the third piece in this message, was important for Jason to hear. The fourth one is being holy, <clears throat> moving. Um, this Thyatira is currently Turkey, what we know to be Turkey. And they says to him, who have not learned what some call the deep things? Hold fast to what you have until I come. I will give authority over the nations. To the first who conquers, I will also give the morning star. Let anyone who has an ear to listen what the Spirit is saying to the churches have an ear to listen to do the deep things, the holy things, and hold fast to them. Holy things can be hard. If you're going to be in a relationship that is a staying relationship, you're going to have to love with all patience. You're going to recognize you're going to have suffering. You're going to have to pause long enough to speak the truth to yourself and to others and to practice your holiness before the situation. And to the church at Sardis, he says, to be authentic, to be authentic. Wake up and strengthen what remains and is on the point of death. Remember that what you have received and heard to obey it and repent. Be exactly what I have called you to be in the darkness and in the light. Be authentic. Wake up to what is reality. And then to the Church of Philadelphia, he tells them to keep listening. I know you have but little power, and yet you have kept my word and have not denied my name. Because you have kept my word and patient endurance, I will keep you from the hour of trial that is coming on the whole world to test the inhabitants of the earth. Keep listening, be on point. What is the mission that we are called to do? Live every day in every way, loving God and loving God first and foremost. Will there be suffering? Yes. There'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth? Yes. But he's calling us to keep on listening to the mission of God. And the last to the church in Laodicea, Laodicea, worship, worship. I just came back from a very invigorating conference in the Midwest called The Gathering. It was so wonderful to be together with brothers and sisters, men and women, um, pastors, speakers, teachers, church leaders, uh, spiritual directors, men and women who are very, very earnest about their walk of faith. They come together to, to, to be apprentices for Christ in their own places, in their own small world, in their own big world. Some of them live in big worlds. 
And I, the first evening as we gathered together after a day of workshops, intensive workshops, workshops that were not 45 minutes long, but workshops that were three hours long, like a college course. And we went and we listened and we abided and we visited and we talked. It was wonderful. But that night when we gathered together, 600 people in this beautiful, worshipful room, very old room, the piano played and the musicians sang and a fiddler fiddled and a guitarist played his guitar and the voices of that congregation sang out and I have chill bumps just talking about it that's what it's going to be like when we're all together when we are all together finally it will be like that Be focused and stay focused on the time that we will eventually all come together to worship. Have your times of private worship in your own home. He says, listen, I'm standing at the door knocking. If you hear my voice, open the door and I will come in to you and eat with you and you with me. That's the church. That's the worshiping church. So these words that pop out of two and a half chapters in the book of Revelation were just astounding to me. I hope they are to you. I hope I have not bored you terrifically by reading some of these difficult verses. The church at Ephesus was reminded to continue loving. The church at Smyrna was reminded that there would be suffering and they would survive. The church in Pergamum was encouraged to keep speaking the truth in Thyatira, that they would be holy without blemish. In Sardis, they would be authentic. In Philadelphia, they would keep listening and stay on point. In Laodicea, that they would worship. They would worship when all things around them would be difficult and hard. They would continue to worship. I would encourage you to read those first three chapters in your own Bibles and look at those seven words which I've just brought to you and remember that we are to sit and read with silence to God's word and wait for him to whisper his truth to you. Wow, thank you. Thank you for the reminder of really going to the back of the Bible. I think Revelation is a book that we all avoid. It's like you said, it's not in an easy order and it's not easy to understand. So Mm -hmm. thank you for that reminder. You're welcome. Thank you, Leah. And I want to remind all of you that we still, like we said at the beginning of the the program, that Christmas is not upon us, but it's good to be intentional and start making plans. So if you would like any of those resources I talked about at the beginning of the episode, they are under products under Christmas on the website. We are modern homemakers with the common begin and the uncommon finish. Go out and make today uncommon by examining your life with these seven attributes of daily living from John and maybe find one that you need to lean into this week. Thanks.